we're going to talk today, we didn't give any sort of warning on this, uh, as we did the last time we did a documentary review, but we thought we would review the documentary 13th. Why, why do we want to do a documentary, Paul? Like, what's, what's not this documentary, but why do you think documentary reviews are something we want to do on this podcast? I think the simple answer is why not do it? There is some fantastic documentaries on Netflix. A lot of documentaries that a lot of people are probably unaware of. And I think a lot of these documentaries are very thought-provoking, provide very relevant topics. Um, I think topics that need to be debated, need to be discussed. Uh, I think people need to be educated on certain items. So That's our job, right? To educate. Yeah, well, as best we can. <laughs> well, I think that's the thing. We're educating ourselves, right? I mean, by watching Yeah, absolutely. This. Yeah, it's a lot of times with documentaries, it's not like they get advertised on mainstream TV. Most documentaries you hear about are through word of mouth. Mm. And the documentary that we chose today was through word of mouth. The number of times people kind of scroll through the list of of documentaries or movies that are listed on, on Netflix, you may recognize the title, but how many people take the time to really understand what each documentary is about? Right. Um, so for us to be able to, to pick and choose a couple of documentaries here and there to, to talk about, especially when they are so relevant to what's going on in today's political realm, uh, I think this is a, a, a great opportunity for us to have a really, uh, really complex discussion. And I think a discussion that hopefully our listeners would be very, would be very vested in that they would want to chime in and, and offer their two cents if, if they're alive with us. And I think that today's documentary should uh, should not disappoint. This was a fascinating topic, and um, I think you're gonna. You said you wanted to to provide a little bit of an introduction there. You you, you researched a little bit about it, so why don't we uh, why don't we tell our listeners as to where we want to go with today? Sure. So why don't I just read the summary? So as I mentioned, it's thirteenth, one three, and then th thirteenth. 13th is a 2016 American documentary film by director Ava DuVernay. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. The film explores the intersection of race, justice, and mass incarceration in the United States. It is titled after the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, adopted in 1865, which abolished slavery throughout the United States and ended involuntary servitude except as a punishment for conviction of a crime, which is uh, what this documentary is all about, and we're going to get into it. I, I guess, Paul, I want to ask you, if you were to describe your reaction to this documentary in one word, what would it be? Eye-opening. Truly eye-opening. Is that two words, I or because the, there's a hyphen, it's just... Well, what, when I'm going to put a hyphen in it so I can make it one word. Okay. Eye-opening. The, yeah. uh, the, there's some incredible... Incredible statistics that were mentioned within this documentary that, that really makes you understand that this is a, a real issue, um, a real epidemic that is affecting American culture. 
um, something that we likely don't see as much of in Canada. But I think as soon as I heard the 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 stat that the U.S. encompasses five percent of the population, but twenty five percent of the world's criminals. World's incarcerated population. Yeah, well, they use the words criminals, but yes, I should use, rephrase that to say incarcerated individuals, because uh, if you, once you watch this documentary, you realize that there is many people incarcerated that may not necessarily be guilty. Um, A couple of other eye-opening stats that jumped out at me in that uh, the lifetime likelihood of imprisonment uh, one in 17 for white men in mm-hmm. America, mm-hmm. one in three for black men. Yep. What, what, did, what did you think about it? Because I, I I found out about this, this uh, through word of mouth, and, and by receiving just a, a short um, description of it, I just thought it was so relevant to what's going on today, uh, especially after... After the the issues regarding the George Floyd incident back in May, yeah, and obviously the fact that U.S. is forced to have some real conversations about race relations, and it has been constant in the news for the last two months now. So, although this documentary was done back in 2016, it is still extremely relevant to what's going on today and it just goes to show that it was almost it was almost a premonition yeah in terms of of what happened four years ago is is still here it's still here in 2020 and this needs to be discussed something has to be done about this well and so just to give the listeners an idea if they haven't seen this documentary i i the, the documentary starts out by talking about the abolition of slavery uh very quickly in the in the you know, 1865 was when this this amendment came out, but they really focused on this constitutional amendment um, being that there is a caveat within the amendment, which is that it is unconstitutional by this this constitutional amendment. It's unconstitutional to be held as a slave, with the exception of criminals. So except as punishment for a crime, this um, this slavery and involuntary labor, I think they called it, or servitude, is, is not applicable. So, in effect, they read back into the Constitution the ability to use incarcerated people for forced labor. And slavery is actually used, is actually in the actual amendment. So, the documentary starts out by talking about how when slavery was abolished, four million people were freed as a result. And that with slavery, it was its own economic system. And so when slavery ended, <clears throat> you had four million people that were previously basically working for free, suddenly aren't working, and suddenly people who used that labor didn't have that labor to their advantage. What ended up happening was a lot of black people were arrested en masse and arrested for minor crimes like loitering, vagrancy. And what this documentary purports is that 
that was in order to increase the number of people that could be eventually put into servitude. Now, as I say that, it sounds almost a little bit far-fetched, but um, I think the documentary makes a very good case for a lot of the issues going on uh, in you know, there, it, it takes us from slavery into the civil, well, the Jim Crow laws, into segregation in the 60s, or the, the civil, ri- uh, civil riots in the civil rights riots in the 60s, to the war on drugs that started in the sort of mid 70s under Nixon, then really taken to the next level by uh, Reagan, and then handed over to Bill Clinton, who you know, really wanted to get tough on crime. So it, it the, the documentary takes us in this journey to from slavery to where we are today, which is a high proportion of Americans in prison, high proportion of black people in prison. And there are so much to unpack here. Um, uh, I, I took 13 pages of notes on this, and I don't plan to go through them all, but there is a lot of eye-opening. You use the term eye-opening. There is a lot of eye-opening material in here i think one of the things that the documentary did a very good job of is to explain where this all came from you mentioned before about the historical context Um, it all started you know with the 13th amendment with the abolition of of slavery however it wasn't as wasn't as simple as that Uh, as, as you had mentioned the 13th Amendment was was adapted so that people were forced into a different kind of slavery. And the documentary film really does explain the historical context in the sense that with the whole civil rights movement, uh, with the move towards um, mass incarceration of, of, of blacks, this is something that didn't just come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. This is something that has deeply rooted within the fabric of U.S. history. And this is something that is well over 150, almost 200 years in the making. What we're seeing now with the race relations, it's it's a powder keg of of 200 years of frustration and anger, um, of opportunities that are not equal to all people within, within the country. Um, it, it is quite interesting looking at some of the, the, the stats that they provided with respect to prison incarceration. You mentioned uh, back in the 1970s about the, the law and order, uh, how that became sort of a, a tagline or, or uh, a popular motivator for a lot of politicians back in the 70s. And yep. it really is quite um, quite alarming to see the the population of incarcerated individuals uh, grows substantially uh, throughout the 1970s. Especially, yeah, it was what 300,000 in 1972, um, yeah. and then just keeps growing and growing. Um, up, you know, 2018, the current population of prisoners it, 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 imprisonment is I think somewhere around 2.3 million. But yeah, when you watch that journey yeah. through the 70s, through the 80s, through the 90s, it's quite 
Um, I wrote it down somewhere here. 1990, for instance, the population, prison population was one point, almost 1.2 million. Two, yeah, 2014, it was 2.3 million. Uh, I think it was up, yeah, it's somewhere around 2, 2.4, 2.5 yeah. now. So it's just uh, very disturbing. The, the number of individuals that are incarcerated just keep climbing and climbing. And it's not so much the fact that there are more people committing crimes. It's that people are being put into prison that may not necessarily belong there. People that have, could be for minor offenses, people that can't afford to pay pay their bail. Yeah, uh, I think one of the, the interesting quotes was, the system now favors the rich and guilty over the poor and innocent. Mm-hmm. Many mm-hmm. people are incarcerated, as, I, as mentioned, because they, they can't pay their, their bail. Um, other interesting stats that jumped out, 97% never see a trial. Most people in prison um, end up, their sentences go to, to plea bargains, people pleading guilty for crimes they didn't commit rather than face the potential for harsher jail time. It is a very punitive system, and it makes you realize that there's not a lot of emphasis placed on necessarily crime prevention or reform, actual, yeah, prison reform or rehabilitation. So that when individuals go into prison, it is such a traumatic experience that if they weren't criminals beforehand, they, they certainly are when they come out because. Uh, there's the the mental health component that has to be factored in, the, the sense of despair and, and hopelessness. Uh, it, it's no wonder that we're seeing, you know, such a disenfranchisement of, of certain individuals within, within the U.S. population, people that uh, are not given those opportunities or... You know, fall within that that vicious cycle of of the world of incarceration. Um, one of the the things that really jumped out at me was the whole privatization of the criminal justice system. This company or this corporation, Corrections Corporation, um, it's basically privatizing the prison system, where they're building these these super prisons. Uh, something that we don't see so much in Canada, but in the U.S., some of these prisons are absolutely mammoth in size. Mm-hmm. Uh, thousands upon thousands of, of inmates. And it poses the interesting question as to what about who, who's profiting from this? There's a lot of companies that, um, that profit from the various contracts associated with these so-called super prisons. Uh, yeah, they were uh, talking about how uh, detained immigrants also came under the purview of absolutely, under this yeah. bill SB 1070, the right to stop yep. anyone they thought looked like an immigrant. And um, apparently the detained immigrants, the revenues that were coming in from the care of detained immigrants, or lack thereof, if you had a look at the conditions these people were in, uh, r- resulted in $11 million per month of revenue hmm. to CCA. The, I think that's who you mean by when you say the Corrections yeah, Corporation. Yeah, CCA Cor- Corrections Corporation, yeah. Yeah, and there was another corporation that they mentioned, uh, ALEC, ALEC. This was ALEC, a, yeah. A politi- yeah, a political lobbying group advocating for tougher laws on crime. And it's interesting to hear... You know, and one could debate this, but large corporations such as Walmart 
had a vested interest in advocating for this group because think about a lot of these retailers can benefit from gun sales and firearms. Yeah. Well, Walmart is, I think, the number one seller of bullets for sure. Uh, Yeah. I think guns as well. Um, And, yeah, the the whole thing about um, this private prison industry – and all the feeder industries that that go into that, the suppliers, like the food, like Aramark, uh, mm-hmm. f- the food suppliers, the the yeah. telephone company that supplies, um, where is it here? Securus Telephone Services makes $114 million in profit just from the, providing the telephone services for the prison system. Yeah, that in itself is is a very telling statistics, knowing that so many companies and providers profit from this system. They, they profit from people being incarcerated. And it doesn't necessarily mean that these individuals are being provided um, good treatment or service. I, I think they had mentioned about even even the food. No, I, I think it was the, the health care, the health care within the prisons. Um, can be very, um, you know, open to debate <laughs> in terms of of the effectiveness of of the healthcare provided to inmates because healthcare providers get paid no matter what. It doesn't matter if if the service is poor; they right. still get paid. As with any of these services, the the absolutely whole, who's yeah. going to complain the prisoners? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the there's lots of different takeaways from all of this i think for me one of the biggest takeaways was i think understanding and appreciating where black lives matter comes from as as a as a white person (laughs) you know looking at it from from white privilege i suppose i think there's a lot of misunderstanding as to what exactly black lives matter what that means yeah and it's not so much, um, and I, I could be completely wrong in this, but my interpretation is that it's not so much um, the fact that it, it's it's anti-white or anti-police. It's simply a message saying that that black people truly matter in the sense that they enough is enough in terms of being treated as second-class citizens. The second being treated as second class citizens that goes all the way back, as mentioned, 150, 200 years ago. Well, the girl, the, there was the, one the, lady in the that was interviewed there. She actually made a really good point on this, and she said, "I think I haven't heard it said better than this because there's there's been a few twists on this this saying this that I think has always it's never been received well. But I think the lady, I forget her name in in the documentary, but she said, when black lives matter, everybody's life matters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, uh, again, if, if there's one thing that, that it, it helped me to appreciate is, is understanding that, understanding where this movement comes from. And it it's, makes you realize that it's, it's about time something happened. This has been going on a... a for, for too long and and 
I said, we are perhaps a little bit sheltered from that. We, we don't understand what that world encompasses. We don't know what it feels like to be discriminated against. We don't know what it feels like to, to not be given opportunities or, or well-paying jobs. Um, you know, I, I can only imagine what a lot of blacks in America have to face. So it's no wonder. Or blacks in Canada or Blacks in a well, lot of Western countries. Yeah, no countries. blacks in Canada. Blacks all over the world. And it, this isn't just a U.S. problem, for sure. Um, but I, I understand where this movement comes from. Um, I, I, I respect it now. Um, as, as a white person, I, I, can, I can respect the movement. I, I understand what it means. And I, I think this documentary helped to, to make me realize that, um, that this isn't something that white people need to fear or to be angry about, or or to be uh, to, to put our to be defensive about. I think this is something that that we need to. Let's say, well, I guess in some ways we need to embrace it. We need to say, okay, what what can we do to help? We're yeah. in this together. We we saw mankind come together and and help each other out during the the COVID pandemic. You know, we, we should be helping our, our fellow man. And if, if there are injustices, if there are inequalities that we see, whether it's people um, saying racist slurs or um, either directly or indirectly discriminating against people of color, it's, it's up to us to um, it's up to us to, to stand up and, and say something. Yeah, I think the one, if there's any positive that came out of, say, the George Floyd incident, which was post this documentary, but as you said, it was almost like it was a premonition. Um, the the one positive is that it, I, I'm convinced it has forced the conversation that needed to be had and has put people like us, as you said, I mean, we've lived a pretty good upbringing. Um, we have not gone through any real prejudice that I can think of. Um, we've had it pretty easy. So as much as the world feels like it's against us sometimes, we don't have this that we have to, to sift through and have to, to deal with. What I, what I think is good for guys like us is that I'm very ready and willing to be compassionate and listen to these sorts of things in a different way than I might have a few months ago. Um, I always felt like I could empathize, but I think this recent, the George Floyd incident, other incidents that have now had a more of a light cast upon them, and this documentary has given me a, a better lens and a better set of ears now to, to this topic. Um, I feel very compassionate and I want to be as empathetic as possible. Like, I hope people say to me, like, I think of friends of ours, like our friend uh, Everett. I wonder, I mean, he's a quiet guy. He can, he can certainly be um, outspoken when he wants to be. But generally, I don't think he's ever told me about discrimination or the things that he's gone through. Another person I used to work with, I won't mention his name, same thing. I never really heard anything that he was going through in terms of discrimination, but I bet you it happens all the time and he probably just doesn't share it. 
So it certainly cast a much better light on this for me. If that's the only good thing that comes out of this, then that that's that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. I, I the same for me as well. Um, I think the the key word here is is just being more understanding, being more more compassionate as to the struggles of of what other people are, are going through. Um, it's easy for us to to put our blinders on and is is white people carry on thinking that everything is fine and and it isn't. We're seeing that in the U.S. right now with the amount of pent-up anger and frustration. Um, the, the, the demonstrations and, and the riots, they, they happen for a reason. It's because people are angry and, and fed up. And, and it's easy to dismiss them as you know, being a bunch of hooligans up to no good. And Yes, it is. But it's it's more than that. You have to truly understand the situation, and and you have to you have to not get caught up in what the media tells you to either. Um, you know, the the media throughout history has um, has their share of blame in it as well, mm-hmm. in terms of of how certain racial groups are portrayed within the media. Uh, portrayed in in film on TV, and we have to look past that. Uh, we have to realize that stereotypes are not always true, um, and that this is a situation that that affects everyone. This isn't, you know, when when the term Black Lives Matter was, I guess, first introduced, and I guess the 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 term was coined perhaps maybe four or five years ago is when I kind of heard it being used yeah it was very easy to dismiss it as oh it's just a black thing and why why should i care about it that that's not the case anymore after what we've seen over the last couple months it, it this this affects everybody and we we have to take notice and we have to be compassionate absolutely yeah and uh, you know there is so much here we could we could talk about and and there isn't enough enough time to do it and plus I want to give people the opportunity to go and watch this documentary because I think they'll find it um eye opening as you said and and I I think you can't help but be moved to to change or move to at least look at things differently than than you did before um but I'm glad that you suggested this it it was uh, it was great to get this i I just saw it i watched it this morning so it's still very fresh in my mind and um maybe it's something we can talk about again but uh i i just i'm glad i watched it 